Hi guys, welcome to Tennis Pal Chronicles. This is our year-end special edition. We are the podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis, and we're coming to you talking about the amazing year of 2018. And with me is my wonderful co-host, Valerie Garcia. Hey everyone. How are you doing, Valerie? Oh, I'm wonderful. How about you? I'm doing great. I can't believe we finally got to this. Here we go. We're actually going to end the year together doing our podcast. And what a year it's been. It's been an amazing year in tennis, don't you think? Yes. I can't believe the year is over and we're already like weeks away from starting 2019 season. And so many ups and downs in 2018. And of course, you have to start with Novak Djokovic because you feel like in the beginning of 2018, there's no way you would ever predict that he could have won as many slams as he did, which is two slams. How did he do two slams? That was incredible. Because in the beginning of the year, we were very much thinking his career is almost over. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I thought it was over, over, but I didn't think he would resurrect himself so fast to get back to that crazy domination of years past, where you just watch him and you go, no one can beat him. Right. And very few people did beat him this year. So it was kind of amazing in the second half, I should say. Yes. So, wow, what a turnaround from Australian Open where he lost to Heian Chung uh, in an epic battle. I thought that was an incredible match. And it really showcased um, Heian Chung as a young gun, uh, the next-gen rising star. He was really phenomenal in that match. But definitely that was kind of a precursor to everybody thinking, wow, this is um, bad times for Novak Djokovic. Yes, and I believe there was an elbow issue, correct? Yes, uh he had surgery on his elbow. And it's, it's always interesting how much or little they reveal about their injuries because at the time... You couldn't tell if it really was an elbow injury and, and, you know, he didn't really come out with it in 2017, but definitely approached it in the media in 2018 and then talked about his surgery and wow, to actually come back from recovery of surgery and to do so well, that's uh, pretty amazing. Sounds like another one of our favorite tennis players. Oh yes. So many of them. Actually, so many of them actually, yeah. Sadly, people are getting injured, but they are recovering really well, which says a lot for how great sports medicine is these days. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was just reading an article before while you were messing with the equipment <laughs> um, about Rafa having his ankle surgery in early November. So I, I wasn't even really aware that he was that that was happening. Yeah, I saw some pictures of him on crutches, and people were kind of you know, putting it out there that he had had surgery and everybody was thinking it was going to be his knee or his wrist, which, you know, both of those he was complaining about as well towards the end of 2018. But actually, I guess he hurt his foot. So he had to have uh, ankle surgery. The injuries continue for Rafa, which is hard to take for all of us, I think. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how he recovers for the beginning of 2019. But I mean, at least he did have a really strong 2018 since we're reviewing 2018. Uh, 11 French Opens. Uh, He had quite a good season himself. And I think actually he was one of the most dominant players as far as the number of match wins that he played, right? Yeah, I believe so. I I wouldn't, you know, bet any money on it, but I'm pretty sure he actually had the highest win percentage this year. I feel like I remember hearing that stat. Yeah, it was either him or some like kind of obscure... uh, 
Diego Schwartzman or something. <laughs> <laughs> it was something like that. Yeah, we'll, we'll do our research and we'll figure that out. But yeah, we really wish the best for Rafael Nadal as he comes back. And we're excited to see what's going to happen for all the players coming back. I mean, uh, we're talking about 2018 and the first Grand Slam, of course, was won by Mr. Roger Federer. Yay, number 20. Number 20. And no one ever expected that any man would reach 20 Grand Slams, uh, especially just 10 years ago when Pete Sampras was dominant and hit that 14 mark. And, and I think at that time, everybody thought there's just no way anyone is ever going to pass that. And Roger passed it. And now everyone's going, when is uh, Nadal going to, is only three away. And Djokovic is like, a year away from being two away. And both Nadal and Djokovic have now tied or passed that record that Pete Sampras set that I think everyone in the tennis world thought would never be passed. So sports just keeps going and people are so amazing. Yes, and uh, they, they hold the Masters Series records as well and just uh, keep rotating whoever has it between Roger and Rafa, right? They're... Djokovic is probably up there as well. Yeah, and uh, also this year he was the first to win the Masters 1000. Masters. Something. Golden Masters maybe, yes. Isn't something. that a Chinese restaurant down near my house? <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> the Golden Masters. I, I don't know exactly. I, I was listening to a, another tennis podcast and they were saying it's called the Golden Something. Yeah, or it could be a Bruce Lee movie. Oh, there you go. The Golden Dragon, or, <laughs> I don't know. Dragon Masters. Now we're just being silly. <laughs> Silly's okay. <laughs> Silly's okay. So to recap, our 2018, we had Roger winning the Australian. That was pretty exciting for everyone, especially Roger Federer. And then Rafa, as you said, took his 11th at the French Open. And then we're at Wimbledon, and this is when Novak started, I think, really showing his dominance. And I thought Wimbledon was very exciting this year in some of the match play that happened, but also I guess it was also controversial because of the fifth sets, right? Yes, uh, a great controversy that has changed Wimbledon's future and probably had an impact on the Aussie Open as well, deciding now 2019 we're going to have two majors adding the fifth set tiebreak like the U.S. Open. So just a year ago, there was only one major with a tiebreak. And now coming into 2019, there's going to be only one major without a tiebreak. Wow, that is uh, revolutionary for tennis. And how do you feel about it, Valerie? You know, I'm, I haven't really decided. I'm a little mixed personally. I always really liked... I'm, I'm going to have to say that I'm not the biggest fan of the tiebreak. I really liked that you had to kind of prove it and win it by two. You had to break someone, like a real game. Um, however, seeing people go like 70 to 68 or 30 to 28 games on uh, a fifth set, and then and then the next match is just, it's not even competitive, you know? Right. Um, I mean, I guess it's fair because that's, that's just what happens, but it does also kind of make for less exciting finals. Sure. And of course, you're talking about Kevin Anderson, who defeated Federer in the semifinals at Wimbledon and then went on. Oh, I'm sorry. Kevin Anderson, who defeated John Isner. Yes. In the semifinals at Wimbledon and then went on to play Novak Djokovic in the final and really had not a lot left in the gas tank. 
Correct. But then I think, you know, uh, you know, I'm a huge hockey fan. Uh, in a you best of yeah, best of seven series in the playoffs. You're just a um, sports fanatic. Yes, yes, but tennis and hockey—they're up there. They're my favorites. So, uh, with with the way that the hockey playoffs go, um, they they during the regular season they'll have a shootout like soccer. So the game ends, and if they're still tied, they do a shootout. It's kind of like a tie break. Um, but when they're in the playoffs, there's no shootouts. They will literally play until someone scores. And even sometimes that, that means playing the equivalent of two games in one night back-to-back because they're playing overtime period, overtime period, overtime period. Now let's say these two teams do that in a series, and now this one team wins and goes on to the next series. They're way more tired because they've played twice as much hockey as whoever in the other series they're about to meet. Gotcha. It's very similar thing, you know, on one side of a bracket and then you meet up and one has put in three hours on the court and one has put in one hour on the court. I mean, it's, is it um, going to make things exciting all the time? No, because somebody might be a uh, empty gas tank, but it's fair. Yeah. But I do feel like you, I'm a little bit against it because I feel like it's a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, It's kind of a reactionary decision based on what happened in 2018. It's not like we've had this problem every year at all the slams. So, And I do feel like you, I think that gladiator battle in the fifth set is kind of what makes greatness for a lot of these players. It did get really silly this year. Yeah. For sure, and um, and left it so that it was kind of out of line. I'm sure that they were also considering TV as well and the popularity of tennis and making the game shorter. I'm sure that was a consideration as well. Yeah, and I can see why they would favor that. Yeah. Because um, unless it's you or me, uh, I don't know any other person who wants to sit there and watch a five-hour match. Right, yeah. I do watch those matches live, but I don't think I have ever gone back and watched the entire match afterwards, except maybe the 2017 Australian Open, Rafa and Roger. Oh, match. that's good. I thought you were going to say the Wimbledon with uh, Roddick and Roger <laughs> when I think it was 16 uh, 14 or 18 16. Yeah. And I think that was where he broke Sampras's record, yeah. maybe. I mean, because it was an important one. I would watch that one again. Sure. <laughs> And so I do have to admit that I don't go back and watch these epic matches. They are something in history. And probably, truth be told, if there was a fifth set tiebreak, it could be pretty epic. The tension is still there. It probably would be just as satisfying. So time will tell. The decision has been made, and it's not been made by us. (laughs) It's true. And you know what I think would be a fair trade-off since they're taking away some of this tennis? I would love to see the... Masters series finals go back to five sets. Oh, interesting. You know, okay, you're going to take away my my fifth set gladiator uh, battle and give me a tie break. Well, then bring back a fifth set final in wow. the Masters series. Wow, that's an interesting idea. Probably not going to happen. No, probably not. I mean, Rogers mentioned that he misses it and liked it, yeah. um, but you know, he can't get his way for everything unless <laughs> you know he's got a round up the troops and get them all on his side. And that was one of the controversies of uh, 2018 also, that maybe Roger Federer being the elite uh, sportsman that he is kind of got his way in a lot of tournaments as far as time of play and all of that stuff. Um, Maybe even practice courts. But uh, 
and some people even spoke out against it. Some other players um, said some things, but you know, you just got to feel like he is so good for the game. Uh, I think it was Andy Roddick who said, you know, give him everything that he wants because he has helped all of us in our in the tennis. I'm of course paraphrasing, but uh, I do believe that. I think uh, Roger and Rafa has have elevated the game of tennis to such heights that um, we are so lucky to have them. For sure. Now, of course, nobody thinks it should be unfair in any way, um, that it's an unfair advantage. But, um, yeah, I I'm not sure that it is unfair in the way that they were framing it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people think a lot of things are unfair. Who's, who's going to be the judge, you know? It's very hard to judge those types of things. It is, and especially since the tennis world has so many different bodies and organizations and leaders, it's really hard to kind of, there's no official um, chair in baseball. There's no official judge or ruling court as there is in other sports. It's so many different leagues and uh, organizations that are involved. Yeah, and once you start nitpicking one thing, you know, where do you stop? I mean, then it's like, okay, well, sometimes uh, who has the second match before the slam final? I know as as a fan, um, from a bias standpoint of being upset that like Roger would play the second semifinal. And I'm now upset as a fan <laughs> going, he has less recovery time. Um, so he's not getting, you know, that. But maybe he asked for a night match. I, I highly doubt it. Um for a semifinal, but there's, there's lots of times different players have to deal with whatever situation. Um, he probably does have a lot of things go his way, but he, it's not like he gets to write his own schedule a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. I think it was Mats Wielander too, being the smart Swedish businessman that he is and understanding the game of tennis that said, if I was a tournament director, I would try to get Roger Federer to play my tournament as many times as I possibly could because, of course, it's going to help the tournament. If he shows up in Gestad, if he shows up in Brazil or some off-the-beaten-path tournament, I mean, so many more people are going to show up, turn out, and it's going to be good for the game of tennis. It's going to be good for the promoters and the tour directors and, of course, for the game. So, yeah. I, I totally guess it agree. helps if he gets to the final too, right? Of course. Because you, you want him to, if he loses in the second round, bam, <laughs> there goes your uh, ticket sales for the weekend. Right. So, so <laughs> yeah, so we're talking about Novak winning Wimbledon and all of the Masters uh, and the U.S. Open. I felt like the U.S. Open was a little bit of a blip that he won because it was so surrounded with controversy having to do with Serena Williams. Yeah, I'd say so. When I think of the U.S. Open, I can't even remember who he played. Ooh. That hurts. Because I really just remember Serena yeah. and, of course, Osaka. Right. That's so true. <laughs> uh, but he did win. That was good for him. Congratulations. <laughs> Yay, Novak. It did happen. <laughs> it did happen. And uh, another record for him in his career just brought him one step closer to the historic greatest of all time, if he can reach it. And a lot of people are actually predicting now that if he can stay healthy, he will pass Roger and Rafa. I don't see why he couldn't. I mean, his he's so dominant. I mean, we'll have to see if those young guns can 
say, uh, 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 yeah. you know? Yeah, and speaking of young guns, we have to talk about the Nito ATP finals because one of the young guns took it. And Oh, yeah, my boy, <laughs> Sasha. <laughs> Sasha Zverev, Alexander, uh, surprised everyone. I'm sure every tennis bookmaker in the yeah. world <laughs> was shocked, and as, as were we all just shocked because it seemed like a foregone conclusion that Novak Djokovic would take it all. He was playing so well that he would finish strong after winning two Grand Slams, and after Roger lost in the semifinals, it seemed like an easy win, didn't it? Oh, for sure. I had literally bet my house. You did? I did, and I'm homeless <laughs> since uh, since that tournament, I've been looking for help. Anybody out there? No. Uh, I really thought, even when he was down a set and down a break, right. I'm like, there's no way. Like, nothing is... He's coming back. Yeah, he's going to get him. There's no way this kid is going to hold his nerve. And I was, I was very happy for Sasha, but I was also very surprised. Me too. I was... I mean, I was really shocked that Federer lost in the semifinals because really Sasha was playing incredible. It wasn't that Roger's level was low. I think one of the telling talents of Sasha is his serve. It seemed like Roger just had a harder time returning that serve. And of course, Roger Federer can return serves. I mean, Ivo Karlovic, John Isner, you know, it's, it's not been that hard for him to defeat those players. But I felt like Sasha has really improved his serve and his placement and also his disguise. So it seemed harder to read his serve. And I think Novak Djokovic said the same thing, that he had a harder time playing against Sasha than he did other servers. Well, I'm excited to see if he can, uh, if any of that translates into success for 2019 and especially with his new coach. That's the big question. Yeah. Two major wins over Roger Federer and over Novak Djokovic. I kind of expected in his acceptance speech that he would really be glowing over his new coach, who is... Yvonne Lendl. Yvonne Lendl. But he really made a point of saying that it was his father all the way. It always has been, and he's been the greatest influence in his life. And I think that was kind of that was kind of a cool moment for him to make sure that his father got due credit for all the years and time that he had put in. Yes, and then depending on how long he'd been working with Yvonne, it may have been a big slap in the face. I don't know how long <laughs> they were working together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe Maybe Yvonne doesn't care. I don't think of him Nobody as, would know if he cared or not, right? right? <laughs> His expression, maybe one eyebrow would move or something. Hard to tell. He did play so much better. I thought he was more consistent. I think he waited longer to pull the trigger. So, yeah, all of those things, I wonder. I, I feel like it was Yvonne Lindahl that coached him into victory just in the same way that he did with Andy Murray. So really exciting times to see if that partnership is going to reap big benefits in 2019. That would be great. I'd love to see him break through. Yep. Other young guns that broke through in 2019 as far as wins, I think of Karen Hatchnoff, who also defeated Djokovic. I think of Sitsipas, who also defeated Djokovic. Well, Sasha now also. And on a side note, I was... I was really proud of you. You were not fidgety, and now you're starting to tap. I was like, oh, maybe he sat on his hands. No. <laughs> I'm just doing that, yeah. I do get Who fidgety. else broke through? Well, you know, um, Silich, you know, kind of made, what, a final? And then a final the year before or something? You know, he's, he's kind of making a name for himself as 
getting there as a finalist <laughs> as a hey, you know well he won his first one and yeah. maybe he thought it was going to be that easy every time no <laughs> i think it was a good year for him as well i mean yeah. definitely as far as being in the top 10 but yeah i think sitsapass he is now the youngest player in the top 10 which kudos to him and that beautiful one-handed backhand that he has oh yes and i read an article on him recently that he is like i guess he hits with roger federer and he is dead set on getting to that level of success that's great he has high hopes for himself he's not willing to just have a mediocre career he really wants to be the next great thing and i hope he can get that that would be awesome that it that would be awesome so that recaps the men's ATP rankings and Grand Slams. That was an amazing year for a lot of reasons, especially the big turnover for Novak. And let's talk about the women. Oh, oh. the women. <laughs> oh, one more point about the men also that was interesting. I saw a tennis meme that showed that in 2008, the top three players were Rafa Nadal, Roger Federer, and Novak Djokovic. And then in 2018, 10 years later, the top three players were Novak Djokovic, Rafa Nadal, and Roger Federer. Yes, so that is amazing. As much as we talk about a breakthrough, no one really has broken into that top three, really. I think uh, the headlines read that January should shake things up. Uh I think Novak and Rafa don't really have very many points to defend in January. Probably. And Roger has a whole lot. Yeah, of course. So, the Grand um, Slam. if, you know, if things don't go Roger's way, he can drop a few spots and Novak can just do decent at the Australian and, you know, just get even more of a deadlock grip on number one. That's a good point. But if Djokovic loses early and, Rafa wins it, he could be number one by the end of the tournament. Um, so there's there's a lot that could happen, but definitely for now they're they're up there. So you're saying Rafa Nadal could return to number one if he does well, and or if win. he has to win the, tournament, to win the tournament, and I think Djokovic has to lose before the quarters or something something along those wow. lines. Wow, wow! But it's just it's just interesting to you know that so much can be different. Yeah. by the end of the tournament. And yet so much is the same because it's still the top three yeah, that we're talking exactly. about. <laughs> exactly. So not a lot of difference from 10 years of tennis, that kind of dominance in any sport. That is yeah. pretty amazing. It is amazing. And you know, not to derail the women any longer, but just to quickly notate that we did have the Labor Cup second year and Team Europe won again. So fun. I love the Labor Cup. I think it's my favorite tennis tournament. I'm, I even like it better than the slams just because it's so fun. It's so funny. And you see a side of players that you never get to see on tour because, of course, they're holding their cards close to their chest. And, you know, they don't want to let let anybody in, including the fans or the media or anything. But, you know, they can totally let their hair down and just have a blast. Yes. It's cool to see them on a team, to see Novak and Roger on a team or like playing doubles is it's so fun for tennis fans it really to see is. that. Yeah. To be able to be on the same side and root with people who normally you're like, I hope you lose in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> and of course that impossible, impossibly funny moment where Novak Djokovic hit Roger in the butt. <laughs> and his in his face, he, he's like has a rubber expression, you know, in, in everything he does. And he, he can just mold his face like Jim Carrey can. 
And the funniest expression he had when he felt so bad for hitting Roger Federer. Yeah, that was great. That was a great moment. I thought, and this is kind of a joke, a little jab, uh, it was nice to see Nick Kyrgios actually care about tennis. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. I know. Sorry, Nick. That was... uh, (laughs) But, uh, I mean, you know... He he really gets into it, and that's yeah. that kind of energy is really fun to watch. Yeah, it's funny that he gets into it when you know nothing's at stake, really. Yeah, there's. I don't think there's <laughs> much of a prize money difference. There's no ranking points, mm-hmm. but I think it's the for him with his background, he he thrives on that team mentality I think so, so much, and team when he's spirit. playing for himself, he doesn't, he doesn't care. even have a coach, right? right. So he doesn't really care often right so it's it's nice to see him care for once it is and it's nice to see him you know being so cool to the other players and having a lot of fun and just his raw talent it's just great to see him play tennis and and care like you said because it's so exciting his tennis is exciting no doubt about it i'm i'm trying to hit tweeners (laughs) it's not easy he does it all day long So let's move on to the women. In 2018, we had some pretty exciting results as well and lots of firsts in the women. So where we were talking about no change in the guard, really, for men's, in the women, there were actually a lot of change. Most notably that uh, in Australian Open, Caroline Wozniacki finally won a Grand Slam. (laughs) The Golden Retriever. Yes. Retrieved her first gold. So cool. See how I did that? Yeah. I didn't know she was the golden retriever. I always thought she was the Great Dane. But I guess either one works out for her, huh? Great Dane definitely describes her better because of her being Danish. But I always have heard heard of her being described as the golden retriever just because of the way she plays tennis. Oh, yes, for sure. And golden hair, maybe. And golden hair, (laughs) yeah. And golden smile or personality. Yeah. Yeah. And who she played against, uh, Simona Halep. So both of them were both going for their very first Grand Slam title. And that feeling, that moment, that desperation of winning, that's got to be something. Yeah. And the fact that they had both been to finals and not won before. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like you and me. Remember that time? Oh, yeah. I was so going to make the same joke. That's awesome. (laughs) We're like on the same wavelength. (laughs) I was going to be like, yeah, I remember that time I won Wimbledon. The fifth set tiebreak. Yes. (laughs) 17, 19. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Congratulations, Caroline. Caroline Wozniacki, we're so proud of you for winning. And what an incredible moment. And, And all of the Great, great, great tennis players who have never won a slam. And just that feeling of, gosh, I almost had it. Right. Mm-hmm. So for her to actually have that feeling, and uh, it seems like the whole tennis world really reveres that moment and, and winning a slam. And I think she deserves it. She won it. She took it out of Simona Halep's hands because it, everyone thought that Simona Halep was going to do it, right? Especially when she was up a set and a break. My goodness. For the second time in a row. <laughs> and then loses it, and you think, well, she's never going to win a slam because she's got to go mental after losing them. Wow. Two back-to-back like this. And yeah. then what does she do? She goes on to win the French. Nice. Yay. Simona. Simona, what a comeback. And it uh, makes me think of Batman. It's it's not. Why do, why do we fall, Simona? <laughs> so we can get back up. Yes. 
and I'm so proud that she can do it. Um, you know, and that is the mark of a champion that you do lose. Maybe sometimes you keep losing, keep losing. You go through those times. I think of Roger in 2013 where everybody is using the R word, retire, mm-hmm. and he comes back and he takes it. And Simona, I mean, I think everybody was down on her saying she she can't win, she can't win, her, she doesn't have the weapons, she's not strong enough. And uh, she and then losing in the finals once again to Wozniacki and the Australian. And then to come back and win the next Grand Slam, that's pretty great. Yeah, so happy for her. And was wasn't she... Um didn't she fall down a break? Wasn't she... She was down in, in the French Open final. I don't remember if she lost the first set or if she won, but it was almost like a same scenario where you're like, oh my God, <laughs> she's down. <laughs> this is not going to end good. And right. she and pulled it together. Th- this was against the American, right? Sloane Stevens? Sloane Stevens. Wasn't it against Sloane Stevens? It was. I think you're right. You are right. It was Sloane Stevens. I think a lot of people predicted that Sloane Stevens was going to win that match. She was playing her. She was playing so in form, and like you said, she was already up a set, I think. And yet, Simona was able to dig deeper and make it happen. Yes. So that was a pretty epic win, and to do it on the French dirt, pretty amazing. Because I guess it's a slower game, and it's even more physical. So she had to be more physical than. Sloane Stevens, and she did it. She pulled it out, made it happen. Yeah, and what's interesting is, you know, so many people credit her success to Darren Cahill, and she finally got over the hump, and now they've parted ways, which is interesting. Kind of sad in a way because you feel like he really got her to the finish line and really made that happen. But maybe for him, he felt like, you know, I I got to the place where I wanted to go, and now it's She's time. On, to, she can fly on her own. She can fly on her own. <laughs> Let her fly out of the nest, and I'm going to go back to my family and live my life, right? Yeah. I love Darren Cahill. What a, a statistician, what a tactician, great announcer. He, I really enjoy listening to him talk about tennis. And he has the Aussie accent, which I can never let go. Basically, I'm obsessed. And then uh, let's talk about Wimbledon for the women, which I guess I wasn't really following that much because when I look at the winner and I see that it was Angelique Kerber, I'm kind of surprised because <laughs> I don't remember it. Kind of sad. Well, I think when all of that was going on, you and I were so focused on that Roger. I mean, Roger. See how I try and put Roger in everything? <laughs> we, we both do. I just like insert Sorry, him in every world. memory. <laughs> Remember that time when Roger won every Grand Slam for every year I ever watched my whole life? Uh, when that, that uh, semifinal between Novak and Rafa, that's like all anybody could think of. So I think that's why I think that's why maybe we couldn't remember much on the women's side. I even have to look it up to see who she was playing. Oh, yes. Please do. I was right about to do that, but you beat me to it. Kvitova? No, I'm trying to look at your pictures over there. I know. <laughs> no, I don't think Serena got to a final, did she? It says Serena falls short in the final, and then they're hugging. It's oh, wow. How come that's not big for me? You know what? Now that you say it, it all sounds very memorable. <laughs> because I remember thinking that was a great um, surface. She's playing a first-time finalist. Well, actually, that might be a lie. But I remember thinking, she's on grass. She has the serve. Like, this is a great chance for her to take number 24. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. And Serena really wanted it because obviously she wanted to um, beat Margaret Court um, and and history in being the highest Grand Slam holder for the women's side. So, yeah, that's uh, two major slams in a row that she had the chance of winning because she was in the final of both Wimbledon, which she lost to Angelique Kerber, and then now we're talking about the USO, as you call it. (laughs) USO. USO. And she was right there on the precipice again, ready to take that Grand Slam. Naomi Osaka got in the way. (laughs) Got in the way big time. Big time. She was going to win it no matter what drama happened. She was playing outstanding tennis. Yeah. She was definitely in that zone. And lots of stuff happened, and I'm sure everybody's sick of hearing all about the Serena Naomi <laughs> Osaka. I know I am. Yeah, it was it was an important moment for tennis in that it really elevated tennis to the discussion level around the water coolers all over the world, I think. And so at least people were talking about tennis, whether it was bad press or not. It was being talked about, which I think is always a good thing. Yes, for me, it's nice. I mean, because nobody ever wants to normally talk tennis with me. So the fact that anybody knew anything, they're like, hey, Serena Williams, tennis. Right, right. And they're probably looking at you because they knew you knew anything about tennis. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so sad for Serena to lose those two finals. She was so close. But a lot of firsts. So um, we had uh, Wozniacki. That was her first. And then Kerber was her first on grass, at least. Uh, huge for her, and of course Naomi Osaka her first. So a lot of uh, changing of the guard there in the women's side, which is really exciting. Yes. We also had the comeback of Maria Sharapova too, one of our favorites as well. Maria. And she was back on tour, although she didn't really compete at the level that we all hoped she would, and maybe people kind of expected her to do a Roger Federer and come back and just slay them all. I think it's it, it's literally impossible to do that and set such a high expectation. The fact that Roger Federer did it is insane. Although now Novak Djokovic did it as well, but it just took him six months longer Yeah, to do it. So kind of cool. Maybe uh, she'll get better. I mean, her game seemed not that bad. I mean, but the serve sometime was just like my serve. Uh, Sharapova. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she was really struggling with her. Like the double faulting is just insane. Right. I saw one match where she served three double faults in one game. Yeah, that was crazy. Not unlike her to serve double faults, but it seemed like it was even worse and a lot slower. But I do feel like by the end of the year, her game did step up and she was playing a lot better. So probably a lot of confidence issues, a lot of getting back into the swing of things, being under the lights and under the gaze of all her fans and all the people who don't like her. It's a tough gig, I think. Yeah. For sure. Hopefully uh, she can bounce back stronger next year. I hope so. We need her in the game as well. She's one of those people that also draws a ton of fans into the stadiums, and she's a great champion as well. Yes, Maria. And then to finish off 2018 for the women, we had the WTA finals. That was in Singapore, I believe, this year. Kind of a surprise winner. That was Alina Svitolina. Yes. Kind of a surprise. I think everybody thought that some of the bigger names would rise to the top, but Svitolina was in top shape by the end of the year, continued to play solid, solid tennis, and I really like her game. I feel like she's somebody that any 
club player like us could watch and really learn from because she has great stroke. She gets things back. She's probably one of the most consistent players out there as well. Yeah, very happy for her. And hopefully that, again, just kind of like with Sasha, um, for Svitolina, hopefully it can translate into more success for next year. Yeah, we, we definitely hope so. And then some sad news for 2018 on the women's side. One of our favorite players, Aga Radwanska, retired kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, that was quite shocking. It was shocking. I, I don't think it made big enough news, but I think it was due to injury. Maybe she was just in that place in her life. You know, she had just gotten married. I think she was really happy with life. She was doing well. Maybe her tennis was not competing at the level that she was used to. You get the feeling that as a champion, maybe you would kind of decide, um, I don't want to keep losing and keep putting in the work, right? Yeah. I mean, it would be hard for me. It's hard for me to put it in the work <laughs> to to be mediocre in life. <laughs> um, didn't somebody else retire? Uh, Lucy Safarova. Oh, yes. Yeah. So she also threw in the retiring towel. She was a really fun player to watch. Yeah. I think she made one major final, right? Or was it a semi? I felt like she made maybe the U.S. Open or something. She had a nice, good run. You're probably right. We'll have to do some research on that. I think the tennis podcast, they have like an intern that does research yeah. and prepares notes for them. I think we need that. We need one of those people. Sounds good. Yeah. Or we could just research it ourselves before we start talking. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to be an intern for the Tennis Falk Chronicles and want to do tennis research for us or just have that stuff off the top of your head way more than we do, contact us. We'd love to hear from you. Our contact is in the show notes, of course. We can also talk about Alina Vesnina having a baby. So congratulations oh, to congratulations. her. Congratulations. Speaking of uh, having babies, the WTA just recently announced that they're putting in a new seating thing for women if they have a baby. They oh. have up to three years to take off. I don't know the exact details of it, but basically they said, you know, when you come back on tour, you're not going to lose like every ranking point or seating for the big tournaments, you know. So you're not playing Serena Williams in a wild card round one. I love that. I think that's so great. Yeah, it is awesome. All the women are definitely happy to hear that. Yeah, and I, I don't think there's any downside to that. I think that's really everyone understands how hard it must be to come back from having a baby. And I can only imagine <laughs> <laughs> that, that you could even come back in any sport after having a baby and having all of that change happen to your body to be a world-class athlete again. I can't understand it. Yeah, and mentally to focus as well when your whole entire life, like a life switch of life switch, a light switch goes off and your whole world's different and it's no longer about you and there's some other thing that your life is focused on, but to still be able to put in the work and then like go and try and have your awesome championship career or whatever it is, you know. You can see that with Serena because she talks about the baby all the time. Yeah. Pictures on Instagram. Yeah, and she talks uh, pretty candidly in her interviews about the guilt she feels like that she carries with her maybe sometimes on court that like she's not with her baby mm. for some reason that makes me think of victoria azarenka because i think that's been a struggle for her and one of the reasons that her career is not where it was not as single focus because she's dealing with custody battle it sounds like as well as parenting so tough tough situation for her yeah, and I think actually Vika and Serena were the two kind of driving forces to that rule changing. Sure, that makes sense. Because they dropped so far out of, you know, the top level. Right. Well, that's great. It makes me think of Kim Kleisters because I think she was the first to do it, right? 
Uh, probably the first to do it and come back and have a notable comeback. I, I'm yeah. pretty sure others had children. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they just didn't come back and win grand slams. You're pretty sure other women have had children since then. <laughs> yeah. What did I say? No, no. The, oh, I'm yeah. making fun of myself. The, oh, gotcha. <laughs> oh, I'm crazy. I think I saw other headlines in the WTA um, regarding. Uh, compression pants kind of how i guess it's aimed at the french open really oh the type um, the cat suit yeah how they ban the cat suit mm-hmm. but now i didn't the article didn't say you know oh we're going to take away the french open's ban however it mentioned that the wta is is no not going to enforce that women have to wear skirts or dresses that if they want to wear compression pants they can that's great yeah I love that. There wasn't very much details on that particular article, but mm. I like the way things are going. Uh, we're going to talk about other podcasts in just a few, but I was recently listening to Craig's podcast under review, and he had Ian Hamilton, I guess, who was one of the designers for Nike from back in the day, tennis clothing and stuff. And he talked about his view of clothing is that tennis doesn't have a look right now. It just looks like workout clothes so it has changed from this tennis look with the polos and the all whites to like basically everybody looks like they're going to the gym so they all have workout clothes and i like the idea of having a tennis look i think that that's kind of a cool idea i don't know that it'll ever be adopted but i i thought that was a very interesting view yeah i would say that Maybe there's some that don't follow that suit, but um, I feel like the majority of the players, I feel like the men definitely kind of follow a very similar clothing pattern. Well, maybe the the top men that have big sponsors. Oh, yeah. And then sometimes they're playing like first round people that look like they're going to the beach. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then the women have, you know, their dresses or their skirts. I guess they're not all wearing uniform, but I I agree and disagree with that viewpoint. (laughs) I really encourage people to listen to that podcast. It's Craig Shapiro, a really good friend of our podcast, and we really appreciate him because he actually gave us a shout-out on his podcast, and we want to do the same here on Tennis Pal Chronicles. Craig Shapiro's podcast is called Under Review, so please search for that anywhere you listen to podcasts and subscribe to his podcast. He's got a really... Have you had a chance to listen to it? Yeah, yeah, he's great, and he has some uh, big names on there, so he's definitely rubbing elbows with people we aren't. No. <laughs> yeah, you definitely get the feeling he's been in the game for a whole long time and that he knows a lot of people. He's been around the block and so he's able to get these really kind of big name, big tennis names on his show, which I think is super great. And it only helps all of us to have such great podcasts like his out there. So the one that I was talking about was Ian Hamilton. I think that's a great one. I think it's episode 13 if you want to check that out. But like he's had Robbie Koenig, uh, who we all love to listen to. It's off the chart stuff, isn't it? He's rolling back the years. Jimmy Connor style with the bolo smash. What athleticism from Roger. <laughs> and his commentary. He's had Tim Henman. Other BG. Really- yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Brad. Brad Gilbert, for the people who don't know. Yeah, Brad Gilbert. <laughs> the BG. But yeah, and his the format of his uh, podcast is also really fun. It's a five-set format, so... I love it's that. Just, it's, yeah, it's so cool. It's unique. It's very smart, and obviously it comes from a tennis perspective, and he does a great job. So good job, Craig, and keep it up, and thanks so much for including us in your podcast as well. Yes. And the other person, now that I'm thinking about it, that we need to give a shout-out to is our good friend James Lynn, and he runs a podcast called Rock and Rally Tennis. And that's a completely different animal than most of these other podcasts because he just does these short 
maybe about five-minute podcasts that are very specific to community club players, talking about technique, talking about mindsets, and how to just be a better player out where wherever you are in your game of tennis, uh, speaking directly to players rather than about pro. He does do some kind of pro tennis evaluations or talks about, you know, slams, that kind of thing. But really, it's more about just tips. And I think it's super helpful. Yes, I like his episode. And sometimes I can just get in a few, you know, on my way to work because they're nice and short and sweet. Yeah, that's really great. Before I have time for my mind to wander, it's like the next one's on. No, (laughs) (laughs) I do. I do like his, his, his information is valuable. It really is, yeah. He talks a lot about mindset, about footwork, um, very, very technical in explaining how you can improve your game. So highly recommend subscribing to Rock and Rally Tennis Podcasts. You can search on it anywhere you listen to podcasts, and I'm sure you'll find it. So thanks, James. We appreciate you as well. Yay. Also, maybe a great resource for you guys is that I've actually completed the Guide to Tennis Podcasts. It's actually called the Complete Guide to Tennis Podcasts. And it's just a blog um, that I put together that has a complete listing of any podcasts out there. So you can go to lovesetmatch.net and look for that post. Just search podcast and you should be able to find it. You can also get our show notes at lovesetmatch.net. And there's actually a podcast tab that you can go to. You can also find it in the Tennis Pal app where they post it on their blog and inside the app as well. Valerie, speaking of Tennis Pal app, uh, I'm kind of excited because it's really come up with some new changes that I think are really great. Yes, there's some updates, right? Right. They just released kind of a version two of it. I just want to let all the listeners know that the way that you have to install it is you have to delete your old Tennis Pal app and then re-download the new version of the app. You won't lose any of your data or any of your friends. Um, You just delete your old version on your phone and download the new one and you'll get a much improved Tennis Pal app with I don't think any side effects that are bad for you. (laughs) But yeah, they have some great updates like, you know, the pictures and the moment section. You can see the pictures. Previously, you would like those pictures, but you didn't know who actually liked them. So if I put a picture representing our blog on the Tennis Pal app, you would see a lot of people liking it and giving us hearts but we couldn't actually see who it was that was liking. And now they've changed that, so you can actually click on it and see who is liking. And that's kind of cool because then you can click on their feed as well and see who they are and kind of build a relationship in that way. So I really like that added feature now. Yes. There's also better notifications, which means uh, when someone does something, you're actually seeing uh, what's happening and you're seeing who's doing it. So I like the better notifications. And probably the most important thing that I think is important for me because I'm reaching out to people to play tennis. When you reach out to them and they don't respond for weeks or maybe a month, you actually uh, have those conversations saved. So because Val, what I was doing is I was like reaching out to a lot of people. Sometimes if they didn't respond in a timely manner, which a lot of people don't, yeah. <laughs> then those things would be deleted. And then I would do a search again a month later and reach out to them again. And they probably think, gosh, doesn't this guy get the hint? Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm not I interested. just told you, no. Yeah. Or even if that conversation. Like too far. Right. Even if that conversation is replied to, that message might be deleted previously. But now they're extending that duration that the message stays there. So I really appreciate that in private messaging. So that's really helpful. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes like a long vacation or something, you come back and 
you're looking through old messages or sometimes I take a hiatus out of tennis for a while and I come back to it and I'm like, oh yeah, who was that one person that I used to play with? Or, you know, it's it's much easier if it's there. So all of that great stuff happening at the Tennis Pal app. So we highly recommend you download it. And if you've never tried the app, you absolutely must do it. Oh, it's the best app. If you like tennis at all, I mean, you must have it. Make it a New Year's resolution. Go download this app because I think it's so great for you to find people right in your area. There's probably hundreds of people in my list that I keep in touch with that I'm trying to get together with and play or have played with. So I really enjoy it. And every, every time that I've gone to play with someone off the app, I haven't had any bad experiences yet. Have you? No, not at all. I have a great time. It's been really fun. And it's always, of course, fun to meet other tennis heads out there, tennis nerds. Yeah, and it's it's a great way to meet people around around where you live to play with as well. Like, right, because it'll search by zip code and radius. Yeah, I mean, like you had mentioned previously, it's it is nice if you're traveling and you want to pick up a game. But some some people, like you know, I have a lot of my friends who I normally would play tennis with. They have families, they have kids, and. They just really can't regularly get out. So I find myself like needing that Tennis Pal app to go find other people who are just like, hey, can you pick up a game Tuesday night? Oh, yeah, great. Right. We need a bigger pool of tennis players. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And so this is like, this is the perfect app to just lump all of us in so we could find each other. We are so grateful for Hale and the whole team of Tennis Pal app in 2018 for sponsoring this podcast. It was only because of them that we actually decided to launch this podcast. Yes, it was a mere whimsical idea, <laughs> dream. <laughs> just Thank you, Hale. Ta- <laughs> just something we talked about at Indian Wells, right? We yes. talked about it at Indian Wells uh, last year and we were sitting in those bleachers way up at the top getting beat down on by the sun, waiting for the match to happen. We were talking about how fun it would be to have a podcast. Yeah. That was great. And look, here we are. We're we're doing it, Valerie. Yes, and now every time I see you, I keep bugging you like, we're going to do a live tennis podcast at Indian Wells this year. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Or next year. We definitely are. We definitely should. In 2019, we should just go and do it. Yes. Record some of the live sounds that are there. That's so fun. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a great idea. For sure. Record me like yelling and harassing everyone while they're (laughs) practicing. No. (laughs) Oh, wow. We could actually record like the sound of Andy Murray's balls being hit, you know, on the court. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't right come out that I don't know why I heard it in an interesting, yeah. Yeah, I got to work on my vocabulary there. (laughs) The delivery, no. I think you're just talking to a child. That's all. I apologize. (laughs) Okay, Beavis. (laughs) So it would be so fun to do that. But all of this is only possible because of Tennis Pal app. So please support them. We really think that they're the greatest people. Go to the website, tennispalapp.com. Find out how to download the app. And please join the community because it's great. Yes. And is it that time to thank our awesome guests who have blessed us with their presence on this podcast this year we have to do it i mean obviously the show is nothing without the guests so we really appreciate them coming yeah number one number one our first our very first coach paolo hexel oh paolo that was so fun we drove out to uh, brentwood and we joined his live ball uh, session and uh, got to play tennis with him and uh, boy you were having so much fun oh that was great I mean I literally died a few times <laughs> on the court but it was so worth it yeah it was great and, and there were great people there it was on a private court in Brentwood it was so fun so really great time and just getting to talk to him his enthusiasm his positive energy 
um, you can see why he's such a great coach. Yes, yes, and definitely you can always go back. Uh, that was the first episode posted if you want to hear, if you didn't get a chance yet to hear about his story. Right, and then we finished it in the second episode. So uh, catch up with Coach Paulo Hexel, hear his story, his journey from Brazil as a young child learning how to play tennis and then getting recruited to play D1 Juniors. That was so awesome. So he was such a great guest, and we really appreciate him being number one for us. Yay. And then it was our friend Jonas Eriksson from Sweden, a.k.a. Malta. He grew up in Sweden, but he lives in Malta now, and he is famous for being the tennis nerd. His uh, website, his YouTube channel, uh, his social media presence, all about tennis. So please check him out. Search Tennis Nerd. And thank you, Jonas, so much for that wonderful interview. Yes. And uh, we talked a little bit about Sweden and my trip over there and my really good friends, Marcus and his daughter, Nelly, were featured in our podcast. So thank you guys so much for being such great hosts and, and taking me to my first international tennis experience. Getting to play tennis in Sweden was so fun and it was great to have your perspective and be there with you, Nelly, the first time you ever played tennis. Super fun. Yeah, that was fun to hear. And probably the most important podcast interview that we've done, Sarah Stone, the CEO of Women's Tennis Coaching Association. I felt like that was really important, didn't you? Oh, I love that. I loved that episode. And not to veer from Sarah, but just for a second, um, I mean, I, Amelie Moresmo is making news. Uh, I know that we briefly talked about like women getting coaching jobs, and I think she just left the Fed Cup for France to go focus on her career. She's Lucas Puy's coach now. Wow, that's and so exciting for all women coaches around the world. Yeah, so I mean, when I read that headline, the first thing I thought of was Sarah, you know, yes. um, and yeah, that interview was just great and everything she does for women's tennis and the game is awesome. Yeah, and just to highlight what she was talking about and what she's doing, please go visit the website, uh, Women's Tennis Coaching Association and uh, subscribe and donate if you're a coach uh, definitely subscribe and go through their course on how to teach girls and women in tennis we want to keep them involved in the game they're actually a nonprofit organization they do conferences provide education and they have a wonderful subscription model that's only 99 dollars a year and really supports them so we want to support sarah in any way we can we thank her so much for being a guest on our tennis pal chronicles Yes, I'm just going to keep throwing in my Naomi Osaka, yes, yay, impressions. <laughs> She's so cute. <laughs> and you are too. Yay. Well, and a big part of our podcast are, of course, our fan favorite reporters. And we love you guys. Thank you so much for being such an important part of our podcast. And I, I just want to give a special shout out to each and every one of them. You know, my favorite is that one um, who does the Serena report. She's <laughs> awesome. Wait a minute. Isn't that you? <laughs> oh, I did not mean to say that. <laughs> did that come out? of? Was that my outside voice? <laughs> yes. I thought I was just thinking that in my head. But Valerie, you do do a great job. You have a very you professional. You said do-do. I couldn't let it go. <laughs> <laughs> I needed the whole world to know. I do do. That was a, a great double D. job. <laughs> I do do. You do do. How would I, how else would I say it? You, you, yeah. I don't know that there's another way to say it, but when I hear it, I can't unhear it. <laughs> <laughs> it is the child in me. <laughs> That's great. Well, you deliver an incredible <laughs> fan favorite report about Serena Williams. 
Hey everyone, it's Valerie here with a fan fave report on the great Serena Williams. For starters, this wouldn't be an appropriate tennis report on Serena if I didn't mention tennis. So, as we could all hope, Aussie Open has confirmed Serena's entry to the starting major of 2019, which is pretty exciting since she hasn't played Australian Open since winning in 2017. However, that is still nearly a month away, so what is Serena up to now? Well, you guessed it. It's fashion. Serena recently tweeted, They say life is about timing. I learned this at age 18 when I chose to play a light tennis schedule because I wanted to go to fashion school. Some criticized my decision, but I knew I had two loves, tennis and fashion, and had to find a way to make them coexist. She also just launched a new clothing line at a pop-up in Florida, and naturally she was decked out in one of her own designs. Uh, Speaking about this new line, Serena says she absolutely loves this collection because it represents all the facets of her life as an athlete, entrepreneur, and now a mother. She continued that she feels incredibly inspired by strong individuals and wanted to create a brand for them that allows them to look exactly the way they feel. Strong, yet sexy. Smart, yet trendy. This project is a bit different for Serena, who usually partners up on her endeavors. For this line, it's more personal because she's taking it on and doing it by herself and building a team. The tagline for this clothing line? Hashtag be seen, be heard. When asked who was her clothing line designed for, her response was, I genuinely feel like the Serena brand has something for every woman. No matter what size or age, we are really conscious about being as inclusive as possible with our designs, and I hope that comes across in everything we do. But I would say our target audience is anyone who wants to proudly represent their S. Anyone who wants to be unapologetically themselves and look incredible and feel confident in anything. Well, everyone, I hope you all have a great holiday season, and I'm sure we all just can't wait for January for the start of a new exciting tennis season. Until next year, be safe and enjoy the holidays. Keep going. 2019. It's going to be exciting, right? Is she going to do it? She's going to win her yes. 24th? Yes. Wow. Why not? Why not? Should I say no? No, that's no fun. Yeah, she's going to do it. Why not? Yeah, she's got four big chances. I think she's going to do it. And now, you know, she's fully recovered from having a baby, so I think... She'll be more fit. More fit, ready to go, and maybe more driven. Yeah, and Aga Radzbanska's gone, so there goes one competitor <laughs> that was really scary to her, you know? <laughs> yeah, maybe so. <laughs> well, the shout-outs continue as we think about Fiona in Australia, and Fiona, of course, is our Roger Federer reporter. Roger. And we love your accent. We love the fact that you cover Roger so well. She has a great presence on both Twitter and on Instagram. So I highly recommend you find Fiona. You can you can contact each one of these reporters on our show notes. Um, we have links to their Twitter and social media. But thank you, Fiona, for taking the time out to do this for us. And she's so busy, not only in what she does for a living, but she goes to so many of these tournaments. She's at most of the slams, I think. Yeah. I remember when you told me, we're going to do this fan favorite thing. And I know that you are going to kill me when I tell you you're not doing Roger, Valerie, (laughs) (laughs) but there's actually someone out there who loves Roger more than you. (laughs) She actually goes to like every tournament and watches him. I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> I'm sure there's actually a lot of people who love Roger more. I think so. But I'm up there. Yes. I'm, I'm one of the few who permanently has his 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 Nike emblem. 
<laughs> it's not even his anymore. <laughs> his Nike, his Nike, his Nike symbol uh, tattooed so on my body. I'm taking him to my grave. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. But you know, he'll get it back. He'll get his RF back. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, so. I'm still gonna proudly support it anyway. Yeah. And even though we're both unabashed Roger Federer fans, I've got to say that in meeting Tanya from Bosnia-Herzegovina and her love for Novak Djokovic has really made me a Novak fan. I mean, she is so great. She, don't, don't you think so? Oh, yeah. She's awesome. I mean, I definitely had already kind of grew to respect him in a way that I never really actually thought I would before. But now I, I do. She has knocked it up a notch even for me to root for him. But he kind of did a lot of that work on his own as well, just by totally becoming this really great sportsman and just such a good role model. I mean, he really did a lot of, of that fan-pleasing for me throughout the years. Yeah, that's great. And I feel like whenever I think of Noli fans, um, I now can think of Tanya, who I really love. I think she's just the nicest girl, really kind and uh, her emails are very very sweet so it just softens it for me and uh, helps me to cross the aisle if you will yes and you know her reports are fantastically detailed fantastic yeah she she's very studious in her study of nole yes and she's definitely you know queen of uh, nole fam so thank you so much tanya for putting on all that work to create this wonderful Novak reports and we love having you on the team yes and then I got to talk about Peter our Andy Murray fan out of Texas and he goes by Ty Guy on Twitter so you can contact him but he's so great he's super thorough he recently actually met Andy when Andy was practicing I think in his area that of course was a dream come true for him so we're so happy for Peter and thank you Peter for putting in all the work that you do to create these wonderful Andy Murray reports for us. Yes, I love it. I love hearing about Andy Murray. Hi, Tennis Pal Chronicle listeners. This is Peter with your December update for Andy Murray. This update will be a mini love letter to tennis, Andy Murray, British and Scottish tennis, and all of his fans. Andy has been prolific on Instagram lately. I labeled on Twitter with the hashtag Andy's Insta all the fun things Andy has been doing and commenting on for the past few months. He recently took photos with Santa. He captioned it. I asked to sit on his lap, but he said no. So I told him I thought he was fake anyway. This past weekend, Andy and his team went to see the infamous Salt Bay, the guy who chops up meat and sprinkles salt on his steaks. Coach Jamie Delgado and physio Matt Little both put out Instagram videos of the encounter. Salt Bay seasoned a piece of meat and fed it to Andy. I had to take that video and quote tweet it with a caption. This is how Andy Murray's 2019 season is going to go. Chopping up his opponents and eating them for dinner. On Sunday, December 9th, Lynn Harris at LYN Harris on Twitter was at Crandon Park taking pictures of Andy practicing with Fernando Verdasco. She captioned the photo saying, Crop Top Andy is cute as a button. I don't care what you say. I miss Sir Andy Murray. I am glued to his practice. Andy Murray commented on women's Balloon d'Or winner Ada Hagerberg being asked to twerk on stage by DJ Martin Solvig. He stated, Why do women still have to put up with that stuff? He finished his post by saying, 
To everyone who thinks people are overreacting and it was a joke, it wasn't. I've been involved in sport my whole life and the level of sexism is unreal. Keep in mind this is the same Andy Murray who was raised on tennis by his mom, Judy Murray, and was coached by Francis Amelie Moresmo, the first male tennis player to have a female coach. He caught a lot of flack for that hiring. It was recently announced that Amelie is going to coach French player Luca Puy. Luca's match at the Cincy Open against Andy was the first match I saw him play live. My pinned tweet is a video of Andy doing a one-handed backhand smash and me yelling, let's go at the Cincinnati Open this year against Luca. Sadly, he was defeated by Luca in that match. I've been lucky to have quite a few fan experiences with tennis players. My experience with Andy at Cincinnati wasn't great because I was so nervous as I tried to take a picture with him. I accidentally turned the camera the other way as I was trying to take a selfie. I'm just unlucky with taking photos. Last year and this year, taking photos with his brother Jamie Murray have made me so nervous. I'm so in awe by the both of them. I got braver with Jamie and Bruno Suarez this year. Thankfully, Bruno puts me at ease before I go in to ask Jamie for a picture or an autograph. I always use the hashtag, hashtag BackTheBrits and Bruno when I talk about the two of them. They need our support, Murray fans. All of my experiences with the Brits have been amazing. Joe Conta has always been pleasant when I've asked for autographs and pictures. I've met Kyle Edmund and Dominic Inglot a few times. I saw Dom this past year at the Irving Tennis Classic where I DJ'd and announced many of the players. I was watching him practice. I grabbed a ball that went outside the fence and quickly and nervously said, I hope you had a great birthday. He smiled and said, thank you very much. I've been asked to explain what made me love tennis and that could fill up a whole book. From reading great articles to watching compelling matches and living each point with my champions, it's hard to single out which part of tennis drew me in first. I read about Nick McCarvel's personal story when he was promoting LGBT tennis. He was telling everyone about growing up in a small town in Montana and how he was in his own little world, but he had a tennis court nearby. That resonated with me as I grew up in a small but growing town in Texas that focused on football. Of course. Our courts weren't as nice. Now I live in Dallas with a wonderful person and a tennis court a block away. Being a solitary sport, figuring out the points on your own is what I love about tennis. It's what I love about Andy Murray. You can see Andy think like it's a chess match, outsmarting his opponents with every ground stroke and going for the winners when he can. I want to thank all the listeners out there supporting the Tennis Pal app and listening to me gush about my love for tennis and Andy Murray. I hope y'all have a wonderful tennis break until Brisbane when we see Andy again. For those who observe, I hope y'all have a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, and a Happy Boxing Day. You can catch me on Twitter at TyGuy84. Cheers, mates. This has been Peter, your Andy Murray fan reporter. Our good friend Christine is in Budapest, Hungary, and she writes about Rafael Nadal, and she's a big Nadal fan, and we thank you so much for doing that. Her and I often talk on Facebook and get a chance to talk about how Rafa's doing and the injuries and, and all the things that Rafa is going through, and she does such a great job at educating me about the Rafa world. Yes, thank you, Christine. 
Hello, my fellow fan reporters. This is Christine from Budapest, Hungary. And I just wanted to wish everyone a happy new year and all the best for 2019. Let's hope for some great tennis in 2019. The season is already kicking off. Uh, there was an exhibition in Abu Dhabi uh, this past week. And then there'll be the Brisbane Invitational. And after that, of course, there'll be the Australian Open. All of us hope that our favorite players will come through and win Grand Slams. Uh, so we'll see what happens in 2019. It's going to be an interesting year. Happy New Year to everybody. See you on the Fan Report. Take care. Thank you so much. And Crystal from Australia as well. She does a great podcast that you guys should subscribe to as well called Talk Tennis Tea. And she's got this super cute accent where she's inviting you to have a cup of tea or she says a cupper uh, and have some tea and talk about tennis. And she is so thorough in her data about tennis. She would really put us to shame. <laughs> we need to have her just Skype in and talk with us and maybe do a three-way. I'm waiting for the laugh. I'm waiting I, for I the I actually laugh. moved my head away from the microphone <laughs> to giggle away from it. I knew it was coming. <laughs> but thank you so much, Crystal, for doing your Sitsipas report and for bringing your love for him to the masses. And people can learn a lot from you. Something tells me that she's going to have a lot of fun things to report in the upcoming year. I think he's going to do really well. He had a great year and he's in the top 10. So we'll see what happens now. And my friend Jordan, who is creating the Maria Sharapova Report. Maria! Hello, this is Jordan McMahon from Los Angeles, California, with your Maria Sharapova Report. The 2019 season is upon us, which saw Maria head out to China for the WTA Shenzhen Open, where she was seeded fifth in the draw. Maria arrived in China a few days early, where she was seen hitting in the cool 40-degree temperatures in preparation for her opening round match. It's been three months since her last competitive outing at the US Open, and Maria's first round contest in Shenzhen came from Switzerland's Tamea Baczynski. Following an early break of serve, Maria found herself two love down before turning around the run of play to claim the first set 6-2. Baczynski was a sterner proposition in the second set, which went all the way to a tiebreak. Maria eventually came through to win the match 6-2, 7-6. Her next opponent is tournament wildcard Xin Yu Wang, a 17-year-old Chinese player who will face Sharapova for the first time on New Year's Day. In the post-match press conference, Maria expressed how great it was to be back on the court after her most recent shoulder injury and how she hopes to gain further momentum from the competition to propel her into the Australian Open. We look forward to seeing Maria's progress over the coming months and throughout the new season. I'd like to take this opportunity to wish all of our listeners a happy new year and best wishes for what's to come in 2019. I'll catch you next time. Thank you, Jordan. Jordan is one of the busiest guys I know. He's constantly jet-setting and traveling all over the world, and yet he loves tennis, he's learning tennis, and he's doing a great job telling the story about Maria Sharapova, and he's been following her for a very long time. His story is that he loved tennis for many, many years, but never played it. And so now he finally said to himself, you know what, I love tennis, but I'm going to actually learn it. And so he's doing both. And he's also a part of our podcast. So we love that. That's cool. Thank and you, he's Jordan. reporting on my other favorite. Yes, Maria. That's so funny that Maria is your favorite and Serena is your favorite. I know. And yet 
the two. Yeah, they're not each other's favorites. There's not each other's and, favorites. Uh, and they meet often, and I have to be really sad for one I love every time because she's constantly <laughs> getting smushed like a little gnat. You know you got bad blood. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to play that Taylor Swift song I right am. now. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> As I said, all of this would not be possible without the team at Tennis Pal app. So thank you guys so much for making this happen. And Valerie, it would not be possible without you. You're incredible. Thank you for all of your positive inspiration. Thank you for sharing your great humor, your wonderful smile. I just love that we get to spend time together. Make our dream come true from Indian Wells. Make yes. this happen together. In our home studio. <laughs> In our home. Yeah, we won't send pictures out of the studio. But thank you so much for oh, all that you, you do. Oh, thank you, Philip. Thanks, everyone. Everybody, let's hear the applause for Philip Kim. <sighs> Philip is awesome. Philip is like son. Philip Kim is synonymous <laughs> with uh, <laughs> with uh, tennis. This guy lives and breathes it. I think I think there are a few other people more synonymous with tennis <laughs> that we cover on our podcast. Well, it's true, but I mean, in my <laughs> life. Ah. Well, people in my life think like when they think tennis, the first thought they think because I'm the tennis freak. Right. Then I meet you and you like actually are tennis. <laughs> you play it, you watch it, you know it like, you know, and I'm like, oh, man, I, I'm, I have so much to learn about this tennis thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all do. We're all constantly learning. And that's what makes tennis such a great sport. But I'm so glad. Fist bump. I'm so glad we get to do this together. It's so fun. And even with all the technical difficulties and all the crazy things that we do to make this podcast happen, it's just so much fun. I actually really look forward to it. Think about it and who we're going to interview, subjects and all of that stuff. And I could not do it without you, Valerie. So thank you. No, I'm, again, Philip does all the hard work. <laughs> I just show up and give shoot out opinions and giggles at inappropriate times. Uh, Philip does all the editing. He finds he finds all the content. I mean, he knows all the people. He reaches out. Oh, I mean, he's gosh. he's really the real deal. Um, I'm lucky and fortunate to know him, and that he lets me sit by him and giggle. So oh, thank you for giggling with me, Philip. One team, one dream. That's how it works. All right. Yes. So that's our 2018 for you guys. This will be our last podcast for 2018, and I'm excited about 2019. We have so much in store planned for you. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for telling your friends also about Tennis Pal Chronicles. If you wouldn't mind leaving a review of our podcast on iTunes, that would really help to educate everyone that this is a podcast that you enjoy and maybe worth listening to and worth checking out. We'd really appreciate that. If you want to share it on your social media, that would help us as well. We really want to hear from you directly, so send us an email to pk at tennispalapp.com. That's P as in Paul, K as in kangaroo at tennispalapp.com so we would love to hear from you just your thoughts on the show any show ideas if you want to be a fan favorite reporter for your favorite player we'd love to have you happy new year everyone happy new year happy holidays many blessings and may all your serves be, be aces, aces.